Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to the Play to Win podcast, where we talk about winning in CEDH. I'm Cam. I'm Dylan. And I'm Tyler. And this week, we're joined by Tyler because we're actually going to be talking about his deck, Kinnon. If, if you've been around for even a second on the channel, you would know that Tyler has been playing this deck basically since Ikoria came out, right? Forever. <laughs> the entire time I could play this deck, I have. I think this is probably one of the most played decks on the channel at this point. It is. If you go through the Play to Win playlist, which we have all of the decks that we've ever played curated out on the playlist there, um, you would see that Kinnon has been the most played deck on the channel. And it also has performed exceptionally well on the channel since... Uh, it's inception two years ago here. So yeah. So Tyler, tell us tell us a little bit about Kinnon. Why is it good? Why has it been doing so well on the channel? Sure. Well, let me start with why I don't get sick of it since it's been so damn long. Okay. Um, <laughs> I I love that the deck has a relatively high amount of variance, even though you're going to end up with the same actual winning lines. Um, the whole flipping off the top thing, much like Winota, uh, makes it very appealing because you never quite know what you're going to get. So you have to be um, familiar with the lines, but also really evaluating the board position at all times. Um, that high degree of variance also means that it has the, the flexibility to perform well in a lot of different pod compositions. So I feel like it has very few like really unwinnable pod matchups. So flexibility, variance keeps it interesting. I just love this deck. I was going to ask, like, do you have a type of like matchup that you like to see or that you don't like to see when you're going into a pod and you see certain commanders? Actually, can we do something first? Sure, yeah. Because your commander doesn't have words on it, so can you tell us what Kinnon does? We should start there, <laughs> yeah. We should start there. It is a one green and one blue creature that says, whenever you tap a non-land permanent for mana, add one mana of any type that permanent produced. And then you can pay five and one green and one blue for a total of seven to look at the top five cards of your library, and you may put a non-human creature card from among them onto the battlefield and the rest go on the bottom in a random order so it helps all your mana make a ton more mana and it helps you find threats throughout your deck yep it helps you find threats that uh that second ability is also a very significant outlet for infinite mana that can lead to a win so it, it packs a lot of punch for the command zone it gives you a very desirable early game ability of ramping your mana very quickly it gives you a value grind mid-range thing to do if you don't have you know cards in hand that you'd rather be playing um, and it gives you the the way to win, all right on one little card for two mana. Yeah, I think a really good 
thing just to remember as we're talking about this deck is that, you know, that first line is really the most powerful part, at least I think of Kennen. It's the ability to double. I think that's the word we want to remember is that we are doubling the amount of mana that we're getting from most mana dorks and most mana rocks. Even though it's well, not exactly it's not doubling, double, it's yeah. plus one. So Bloom Tender doesn't tap for four. Well, that's why right. I said yeah. most. It's, yeah, it's, like there's it, a, a couple of, you know, ones that aren't, going to but like off of like our land of war elves our elvish mystics our um talisman of what's your talisman uh creativity i think right i think that's yeah that's, that's it. green red uh nope that's that's, that's creativity the, that's for sure. blue red oh curiosity yeah, curiosity. Yeah, curiosity uh you're right yeah so matchups what are your what are the matchups that you like in this deck what are the matchups that you don't like in this deck well this is definitely a deck that is just not capable of going as fast as ad nauseum um <laughs> there is there are other versions of kinnon that are like fast artifact combo that are trying to go much faster um i have played them they're still really fun to play but i'm of the opinion that usually if if you're trying to beat the fastest decks running ad nauseum, you're just going to lose if you're trying to beat them at the speed game so i usually don't try for that line what that means is that we are a little scared of decks that go really fast because they can go faster than us, but we pack a really, really big suite of interaction, so that gives us some confidence to be able to play into those pods, and as long as you know what you're looking at at your table, you can mulligan for that. This is also a deck that runs some light stacks itself. It's somewhere between like a mid-range deck and a stacks deck in, in practice most of the time, even though it is capable of turn two wins or turn three wins. Um, but that means that when we see other stacks decks at the table, we are not that scared of them. Um, Null Rod and Collector Oof are really devastating for this deck. But really, other than that, we can operate under almost any other stacks, and we're really delighted to see them because they're slowing down our opponents who are capable of going faster than us. Got it. So I that love that. There's three cards. Stony Silence, Null Rod, and Collector Oof. Stony and Silence, yeah. Everything else is you, fair You game. can work with, yeah. Well, and Dranith Magistrate, but in practice, we almost always get in a Kinnon under a Dranith Magistrate because we are very obsessed with mulliganing for a turn one Kinnon. Yeah, so. turn one Kinnon. Well, seems I mean, really every deck. deck. Yeah, every deck. I was trying to save time and not talk right. about Dranith Magistrate. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, so it seems like this deck is really, it thrives in the mid-range. Your evasion is trying to do mid-range stuff. You're trying to win probably like turn four through six. That's like your ideal, or do you try to win earlier than that? Um, I mean, the ideal, so to speak, is always to win as fast as possible. Okay, sure. But, but usually when this deck is at its best, we are outvaluing um, all opponents on card draw, um, often with cards like Consecrated Sphinx or Nezahal, because even though other decks have great mid-range plans with things like Thrasios and Rhystic Study, um, we can just outclass them with giant mana creatures that have extremely powerful effects that add up over time. Okay. Um, and if they don't get removed very quickly, they, that it'll be game over. That makes sense. So maybe we should talk about some of the actual cards in this deck? Let's get into it. So Tyler, how do you win? Like, that's one of the most important things in any deck. Sure. Let's talk about winning. Um, the, the most important cards here... Our Finale of Devastation, which is going to be the actual mechanism for winning. Um, we don't run Thessa's Oracle, which means that in this version of the deck, you cannot win at instant speed. Even if you pop an Emergence Zone, doesn't matter. Um, you have to win with Finale of, of Devastation combat damage, um, or by bouncing all your opponent's permanents with tight spot tyrant loops um, so much that they are just prepared to scoop because you have your entire deck in your hand and they have nothing on the field and it's over. Um, so Finale of Devastation is the actual win for X's Azillion. Um, that is... The, the outlet, but the way we get there um, is by generating infinite mana and then usually activating Kitten until we find Thrasios. And Thrasios allows you to turn that infinite mana into drawing your entire deck, putting all your lands on the battlefield. Once you're in that position, it's very hard to lose. So the key cards then are Thrasios as the outlet, Finale of Devastation. Um, if you have infinite colorless mana from something like Basalt Monolith, then you really want um, either 
Thrasios, as we already mentioned, or Treasure Vault as an outlet, which converts that into colored mana via treasures so that you can go find anything else. Um, and the other big pieces here are Tidespot Tyrant and Hullbreaker Horror, both of which combo off very nicely with Kinnon with any artifacts that are net positive mana after Kinnon's bonus, assuming you have Kinnon on the field. Um, those will let you go infinite with um, color, colored mana as well. I have a couple of follow-up questions. Yeah, Cameron, <laughs> for you go first and then me. All right, so I know you mentioned Basalt Monolith. What? Yeah, what are the actual ways Is to... Is there any yeah. reason why you're bringing up Basalt Monolith? <laughs> no, it's I, it's just incidentally... <laughs> that, that goes with my question, is how do you actually make infinite mana? How do you get to the point where these outlets win yeah, you the now game? Now we know how we're trying to end the game. That's but the how, final position. What's the step right before that? Right. right. So um, if we're going the Basalt Monolith line, in which case we need Thrasios or Treasure Vault, because it, we can't just activate Kinnon forever with only colorless mana... Um, Basalt Monolith taps for four with Kinnon because it's plus one and then has an ability that says pay three generic to untap it. So this just on its own generates a loop. Just Kinnon plus Basalt on their own generate a loop that generates infinite colorless mana. Um, and then as long as we have one of those outlets or a way to find them, um, we are able to convert that into a victory. That's nice. So you're saying that there is a one card infinite mana combo with Kinnon in the command zone. Correct. Now, are there other ways to make infinite mana? Um, uh, apart from those two lines, not really. Uh, we have Nyxbloom Ancient, which with Grim Monolith does produce infinite colorless. Um, but Nyxbloom Ancient produces so much mana that you're already at more or less a a pivotal point where you're going to be able to activate an unreasonable amount of times anyway if you have any kind of board state in terms of mana generation. So we have ways to get very close to infinite mana, like I said, with Nyxbloom Ancient. If you've uh, never tapped a Gaia's Cradle for 68 before, I highly recommend it. It's delightful. Um, that damn, that sucks. It wasn't 69. <laughs> no, no, couldn't couldn't get there because uh, yeah, I, I don't remember. I don't remember the math precisely, but two Man, two explanations. I, I could tell you about all the times I couldn't get the 69. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Um, what about the tight spot lines? Did we talk about the tight spot lines? Um, we did. I'm not sure we went into detail. We said any mana rock that generates net positive once Kinnon is out. So that is any of your zero drops in combination with um, any any other zero drops. If you want it to be colored mana, then you need at least one thing that generates color. Um, but you can also get to infinite colorless if you have a soul ring and a mana vault. If you have a mana crypt and a talisman, um, that will that will get you infinite colors up to how much life you have to pay for the, the colored uh, mana with life. Uh, Etc. There's there's a lot of in-betweens, but really the vast majority of artifacts in the deck, um, if you have any two of them, you can combo off with uh, Hullbreaker or Tidespot. So an example would be, let's say we have a Soul Ring and a Mox Opal, and at least one other artifact, so Mox Opal is on. Um, we play any spell to get this rolling. Um, we point the bounce from either Tidespot Tyrant or Hullbreaker Horror at the Mox Opal, tap the Mox Opal for two blue or green mana in response, allow it to bounce, then we um, tap the Soul Ring down for three colorless mana, cast the Mox Opal bouncing the Soul Ring, now we have an untapped Mox Opal, and then you just repeat. Each one bounces the other, they tap for mana, um, net positive, and then you end up with infinite mana. You can substitute a lot of those mana rocks for other mana rocks mox opal's a weird one because if you're bouncing soul ring now you can't like sometimes you won't be able to tap it right you gotta have two other artifacts again, down right? that's right yeah but um you'll as we go through the deck we'll see that there's a lot of other cards that are like incidentally artifacts a la seed of the cyanide kind of stuff too that really help push you in a good direction exactly yep Great. I'm so I got to say, a la Seed of the Cyanide. I've never said that. <laughs> that, was a, that was a fun little sentence was, you got yeah. there. 
Should we talk about some of the haymakers, some of the cool, fun cards that you get to play in Kinnon? Yeah. Absolutely. Let's start off by talking about my favorite one because it is so weird and it is still not very popular even in Kinnon decks. Um, that is Perplexing Chimera. Um, this what is, is that? <laughs> are you perplexed? I am perplexed. Very. Yeah. <laughs> Um, this is, at this point, the namesake of the deck um, because I'm just so in love with it. But Perplexing Chimera is a five-mana creature. Um, it's a 3-3, three, three, a blue creature. And it says, whenever an opponent casts a spell, you may exchange control of Perplexing Chimera and that spell. If you do, you may choose new targets for the spell. So this is almost like a deflecting swat on a stick. It's a creature that sticks around on the board and says, anytime an opponent casts a spell, I have the opportunity to say, no, I am taking this spell, and you may have the Perplexing Chimera. So this is already good without any synergies, and the reason is that um, it's going to hold your opponents down from playing their most powerful spells because they just cannot afford to give you an Ad Nauseum or an Underworld Breach or something that is absolutely critical to them winning, so they almost certainly will not play it into Perplexing Chimera. If they try to remove it, you usually are happy to exchange control of Perplexing Chimera and that removal spell because when an opponent has Perplexing Chimera, they are still holding down two of your opponents with that same stacks piece you just played. So while they're able to defend their combo more effectively and it makes them a lot scarier, um, we're still pretty happy to give it away without too much fuss. But we also have Homeward Path in the deck, and Homeward Path um, says that each player gains control of all creatures they own. So if you trade Perplexing Chimera for a spell and then activate Homeward Path, now you have the Perplexing Chimera again, and you can now take control of another spell. So um, this can be pretty nutty on its own. It feels very oppressive. Um, I usually say that um, Home Homeward Path and Perplexing Chimera and Seedborn Muse is a soft lock because you can steal one spell per turn, and it's usually impossible for your opponents to break through that. I've never lost a game with those pieces on the field. Yeah, and it's not even that, like, they even they can't really bait it out either, right? Because you don't have to gain control of their spell. So if, it's not like they can just, like, play a bad spell, and then they take the Perplexing Command, and they can do something else. No matter what, they can never cast their good thing. Yeah, exactly. This is not Gingitasis where it just automatically takes control of that spell. You get to choose. The trigger goes on the stack every time they cast a spell, and only when it resolves do they find out whether you are choosing to gain control of that spell or not. Right. now, And if they had like something like two removal spells, that would be a way that they could get out from under this, right? But they would have to point the one removal spell at it, you switch control, and they have another in the hand that can kill. Once you switch they control, control and then you have a removal spell that you can point at whatever you want, and since the trigger has already happened for that one, they can't regain control of that spell. So you could then either choose to point that still at Perplexing Chimera to make sure they don't have it, but more likely you're going to point it at one of their juicy targets to remove something else on the board. You always get to decide if you gain control with the Perplexing Chimera? Yeah. Yes. Let me read this. You can only exchange control when you have it. Yeah, when you have the Perplexing Chimera on the board, you well, can I think what he's saying is that if you, if you can use the removal spell to hit Perplexing Chimera so that your opponent doesn't have the opportunity to have a Perplexing Chimera. Right. At that point, right. you can just pass and say, yes, it, it hits Perplexing Chimera. Yeah. It's just there are very few times that you're going to want to do that. Yeah, I'm just saying that's that's the out. That's how you get out from under this is having two removal spells. Yeah. That you, that gets you out of this. But yeah. besides which that, be which is a tall order. Which can be a tall order in CDH. How many times do you sit there and go, oh, my God, all right, I need one bounce spell to get rid of this stacks piece, and then I can win. And then the second Perplexing Chimera hits the field. It's now like, you need two. Now I need two plus this. I mean, spell. unless you have a sacrifice outlet. So right. here, here's why I think that doesn't it doesn't work quite like that. Okay. You don't really need two removal spells the way you would with like Jinja Texas because if they exchange control of the first one, so the first one doesn't get through, which is why you would need a backup, right? Yeah. They are taking that and and pointing the removal spell at something else now, most likely. 
So um, the player who originally had the perplexing chimera. Right. So they being you, like they I, being me. So yeah. like I have lightning bolts. I cast lightning bolts on your perplexing chimera. Right. If I decide to exchange control, you no longer want to remove the perplexing chimera because now you have it. You do if I have homeward path, maybe. But right. the rest of the time, if it's just perplexing chimera, now perplexing chimera is great for you because you can exchange control of it and another spell. That's true. Like so. It, so if I cast lightning bolts on the perplexing chimera, you gain control of the lightning bolt, send it somewhere else, and now I have the perplexing chimera. You're saying I don't want to kill the perplexing chimera because I'll be able to use it against my other opponents. Exactly. Yeah, I thought. Yeah, I thought that that the direction we were going in is is like lightning bolt targeting Kinnon, You can redirect it to per, perplexing chimera. That is, and that's it's, another it's basically option. like a deflecting SWAT that you can put into play uncounterably off a of Kinnon activation. That's kind of interesting, too, that it can protect your own combos, too, since your combos are permanent-based, that like this is kind of a magnet that takes away from a removal spell, too. Yeah, 100%. Now, the targets have to be legal, right? Like, you can't redirect an Ancient Grudge to that. Correct. Yeah, the targets still have to be legal. Oh, but you could, you could still swap the Ancient Grudge and have it hit something else, though. Yeah. So I will say that um, based on how long it took us to explain this, I think hopefully it's clear that not only is it fun and useful in its own way, but it is also confusing enough that opponents frequently misplay around it because yeah. they just don't <laughs> see this card that often. Yeah, kind of helpful. A little, yeah. little selling point. All right, cool. Pipexic Chimera is awesome. What else? What else you got? Um, let's talk about some of the the haymakers that are sort of stacks pieces. This is really the reason why I would be attracted to Kenan is that you get to play a lot of these really cool, big, fat creatures that sometimes you see in, like, the higher power of the casual side, and you don't always get to see in CEDH. So tell us about some of your favorites here, Tyler. Sure. So Void Winner has probably got to be one of the most recognizable. It's in most versions of this list that run big creatures, and it is just devastating for your opponents. So it's a 9-mana 11-9 that says your opponents can't cast spells with even converted mana costs, and they can't block with creatures with even converted mana costs. And zero is even, so this shuts down an awful lot of spells. 50%. I would say roughly 50. Maybe roughly 50. I actually think there's probably more one drops and three drops combined in most CEDH decks than there are two drops and zero drops. I would agree. But but it's it's pretty close. Yeah, it's pretty close. Um, It's pretty close. So yeah, this, this tends to be very, very effective at shutting down the entire board. And if you're hitting it off of Kinnon, your opponents don't know it's coming. They don't have an opportunity to react to it on the stack, which ideally is the only way you want to be casting it because it's nine freaking mana. That's one of the most important things to note about Kinnon, besides the cheating on mana thing, is that it gets things right in play. So if people don't respond to that activation, the, the Void Winner is in play as soon as that activation is done being activated. So there's no chance to respond. They're stuck with those cards in their hand. Just like Winota, yep. Right. It's just like Winota, and no one is going to be playing around Void Winner, I would assume. <laughs> Another one we've got here is Lodestone Golem. Um, so this is a four mana 5-3 that says non-artifact spells cost one more to cast. Lodestone Golem does hurt us too in that it, we run a lot of non-artifact spells that we still want to cast, but this is relying on the idea that you are usually going to have the most mana at the table in Kinnon just because of how the commander reads, um, and so you can usually afford these kind of tax effects a lot more than everyone else can. Um, I would actually go as far as, as to say that if the deck could run Athalia, it probably would. Yeah. Honestly, and the extra size isn't nothing. If you're in a deck that is looking to make it in the mid game, having a big five three is like helpful. A five three is not nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, sure does block a Timna. Yeah, sure does. <laughs> um, speaking of of big stuff that puts power on the board, um, Coma Cosmos Serpent is another one, and this is a relatively recent add for me, and I've been really really liking how it plays out. This is a six six that says this spell can't be countered. At the beginning of each upkeep, make a three three blue serpent creature token. And then you can sacrifice another serpent, usually one of those tokens, to tap target permanent. Its activated abilities can't be activated this turn, or to give Coma indestructible until end of turn. So apart from 
if you play this on your turn, putting 15 power on board uh, over one turn cycle, which is pretty impressive on its own. Creating a lot of 3-3s gives you bodies for board presence, but we're mostly interested in the first ability that says tap target permanent, its activated abilities can't be activated this turn. This shuts down combos that rely on activated abilities once they start getting going. So I would say, like, notably Kiki-Jiki combos just cannot be executed under this because There's they get... Dockside infinite mana combos. Sure, dockside, yeah, if you can abilities. point one at an Emil, yep, that, that will work too. Um, so there's a couple cases like that. Stopping things like Hermitrude is also a big thing that I feel like Coma stops because Hermitrude has to be in play for a whole term cycle, so you'll get the opportunity to get the Coma in play and then on their upkeep tap the, the Hermitrude down. Exactly. Um, but the other thing is, it says tap target permanent. It is not non-land permanent. So in reality, most of the time, what I end up doing with this is tapping down mana sources. And we're doing that in two different ways. Um, sometimes we're doing that in an opponent's upkeep if we think they're going for a winning turn to constrain them on resources and make it a lot less likely that they're able to take a winning turn. Mm, but, opposition style. Mm -hmm. But ideally, what we really want to be doing is um, getting all the way around to our upkeep and making potentially up to a fourth serpent at that point and then sacking four serpents to tap down um, opponents in your upkeep when you're trying to defend a winning turn to turn off their mana before you even try to go for the win so it's not it's a non-silent silence it's a bad silence but it has a lot of weird flexibility and a lot of very useful corner cases that i like it also just like gets you the table dead. Like it makes a lot of power over time pretty quickly. Even, oh, if, yeah. even if you're not tapping stuff down, even if you're just like accumulating an army, if you're in like a locked out board state, this is really helpful. Yeah, it is good for life pressure totaling or life total pressuring. Life pressure totaling. I yeah. love it. Cool. Any other big fatties you should talk about? Yep. Um, we talked about these when we were talking about the combos that win the game in this deck, but Tidespot Tyrant and Hullbreaker Horror are also two cards that you are always really happy to see on a cannon flip. So Hullbreaker Horror and Tidespot Tyrant both, when you play a spell, you bounce something, basically. Or in Hullbreaker Horror's case, you, you can bounce a spell off the stack. And these are just excellent at um, their sort of stacks pieces in that your opponents are going to end up having a lot of their stuff bounced, so they're, they're great for interaction, as well as being a combo piece that will ultimately win you the game. Yeah, I like these because they're kind of soft wins. You can get them out when they're not actually going to be winning you the game yet, so maybe it will avoid some interaction. And then after, I mean, with Hullbreaker Horror, sometimes it's uncounterable, so that avoids interaction also. But you'll also be able to kind of control the table and make sure you get all the interaction out of people's hands before you really go for the win. So these are these are great at multiple stages in the game. Absolutely. Especially when you can like, oh, end a turn, kid an activation, uh, put one in play, go to your turn, untap immediately with all of your... yeah. Your tons of mana now so um we've got four more cards that i would say are kind of the the big hits off of kinnon that we love to see um first up we'll say seaborn muse um known in a lot of decks often run in thrasios decks because uh untapping and activating abilities on everyone else's turn is great um we love untapping all our stuff and we're a big mana deck so um, pretty frequently, once we have a Seedborn down, we're going to be able to activate Kinnon every turn cycle, which feels excellent. Yeah, specifically because of that activation ability on Kinnon that you can use Seedborn Muse every single turn is, is really so good. Mm -hmm. Nice. I have 14 mana on everybody's turn. Yeah. <laughs> um, Consecrated Sphinx is just one of the best card advantage engines you could possibly hope for. Um, drawing that many cards can often be game-ending, and it will put you ahead of your opponents really quickly. It you know, absolutely demands a kill spell as quickly as possible. Otherwise, you're going to run away with the game very fast. And like you said kind of earlier, it's really good at combating Ristic Studies and Esper Sentinels and things like that. For every card they draw, you draw two. You're going to be able to keep up with them pretty easily. Absolutely. Suck it, losers. <laughs> <laughs> we also have Nezahal, which I would say is a little worse than Consecrated Sphinx, but still ends up drawing you a lot of cards um, since you're drawing one for every non-creature spell your opponent's cast. And Nezahal also gives you the option to discard three cards to exile it and return it to the battlefield, so it kind 
of is able to dodge removal, which makes it a really tricky piece to get rid of and also generates a ton of advantage. And it also can't be countered, too. If you're not getting also in play with Kinnon, it also yeah, just can't be countered. Yep. Um, last but not least, we have Nyxbloom Ancient. Um, that is Need we say more? <laughs> <laughs> right. Triples the mana from a permanent, so with Kinnon, it's triple and then plus one. Nyxbloom Ancient will often get us very close to winning the game if it doesn't outright win us the game, just because the mana advantage gets so great that you can usually activate Kinnon many, many more times than you otherwise could. It's basically infinite. Once you're at like 30, 40, 50 mana, you're, that's basically infinite. And like you mentioned, with cards like Gaia's Cradle in your deck and like yeah. Bloom Tender... You can really make a ton of mana in one single shot. Absolutely. And it's got trample. Don't forget. Oh, shit. Yeah, it does have trample. It does have trample. That's going to be my main point when I bring up all these creatures. They're good. You know what else? They're big. They're big. Yeah. <laughs> now, Tyler, what if you wanted multiple Nyx Bloom Ancients in play at once? Yeah. Do you have any Ooh. way to do that? <laughs> um, well, we have Phantasmal Image and Phyrexian Metamorph, and we are very happy for these to copy all sorts of things. Um, Phantasmal Image coming in as a Dockside is like something you really want in Kinnon because your treasures tap for double. Phyrexian Metamorph can copy your own artifacts, so occasionally you're paying three to have another Mana Crypt if you're still in acceleration mode relatively early in the game. Which is not bad. That's better than a Thran Dynamo. Like, <laughs> yeah. But there's just, yeah, there's tons of good targets for these. We don't really have to justify why these these clones are excellent cards right cool. okay so you have some win conditions you have some big fatties that you're getting into play to help you control the board and ultimately find and win the game how are you protecting the win yeah you also mentioned that you are scared of really fast decks so yeah. how do you help deal with that how do you not die on turns one and two we run tons of interaction what tons you're of interaction <laughs> do tell in a two-color deck with blue that's crazy Right. So um, we run a really big interaction package, and that's for two reasons. Um, one, we wanted to defend um, Kinnon and our combos. Two, we want to interact with decks that are able to go faster than us and make sure we can shut them down before they win. And three, as a deck that is often in the position where we want to leave up seven mana in between turns and activate in an end step, we have more ability than most decks to hold up mana for interaction without punishing ourselves by not having spent that resource in our main phase. Like a Thrasio stack almost. Like a Thrasio stack, yep. Very similar. Um, like a Thrasio stack. <laughs> so I'll run through the plain old counter spells that we have just to read through them. Yeah, read them off real quick. Too. Sure. We've got Pact of Negation, Force of Will, Force of Negation, Fierce Guardianship, Flusterstorm, Swansong, Mental Misstep, Mana Drain, An Offer You Can't Refuse, Miscast, and Veil of Summer. So all zero and one mana besides Mana Drain, which hopefully will pay you that mana back on your next main phase or something. Yep. Everything well, if only is, that could double, too. Only if only that could double. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, anything to specific to note about these particular counter spells? They're just the best you got in Simic. Um, pretty much, yeah. I think uh, there's at least at least the miscast slot really is kind of up to you and your, your pods that you normally see. I could see a case for Dispel here. I could see a case for Spell Snare or Spell Pierce. I also don't run Mind Break Trap, and it really just depends on what pod you're in, whether Mind Break Trap feels great or just does nothing for the entire game. Um, so that's not a risk I particularly like taking, but um, some people swear by it, and I think it's a perfectly reasonable include. I feel that. Mind Break Trap and Miscast are good against the same decks, so I can see how like they can be flex slots. Have you ever cast an offer you can't refuse on one of your own spells to make four mana off of the treasures? With Boy, Kinnon? am I glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, uh, because our treasures tap for double, there are... A, a reasonable amount of times that we actually want to offer you can't refuse ourselves in order to ramp. So if we cast a zero mana something and then offer we can't refuse it, then we are up three mana on that transaction. Now, we're down two cards, but sometimes if what you really need is the mana, that is the right play, and it has certainly happened in games that I've played plenty. Hell yeah. 
All right, I have a, I have a question. What if there's an Eidolon of Rhetoric in play and you are trying to go for the whole Breaker Horror line? What do you do to get things out of play? <laughs> Very specific situation. Well, yeah, because that, that's, that's also an enchantment and a creature. <laughs> well, Cameron, you have Hullbreaker Horror, so you can just start by bouncing the Eidolon and then cast another spell to get your loop going. Bad example. But <laughs> if you if You, you can't, have Tide Spell Tyrant, I mean. Right. You can still bounce stuff. It still works. Okay. You, stuff. you cast Tide Spout, and then you have to wait until your next oh, turn to go off. Okay, okay, it's a okay. rule of law creature. It's Eidolon of Rhetoric. It's fucking you up. <laughs> All right. Well, in terms of the ways that we deal with problem permanence, um, we've got Chain of Vapor, which needs no explanation. Actually, I do want to say extra good in this deck, because when it's being used as a ritual, it makes you even more mana. Yeah, your rocks make so much mana. If you bounce your own rocks to sack your lands to do it, you can make even more mana with them if you need that extra mana. You don't mana. storm off, though, so yeah. I can't imagine that comes up as much. Well, I think you're you right that, that maybe more than your typical deck, we might start off by Chain of Vaporing our own thing and then sacking a land to copy it and then pointing it where we actually want it to go. So that's Chain of Vapor. Um, we have March of Squirreling Mist, which I, has really overperformed for me, I think, um, Having the potential to get rid of multiple pieces in one go, even if it's only for a turn, is often just all we need to be able to close out the game. Yeah, not just you. That card is overperformed for everybody in CEDH. Great card, great card. Yep. Love yeah. it. Love March. We've got um, Nature's Claim. Um, you know, plenty of troublesome artifacts and enchantments that we got to get rid of. Like Eidolon of Rhetoric. Uh, yep. Um, though, honestly, we kind of like Eidolon in this deck. I don't know, Cam. If we can just activate all, all day, every day, and, and everyone else has held the one spell, we're not sad. No, nah, good point. Punkify is in here, too. Um, I used to run more single-target removal, uh, rapid hybridization, namely, um, but cut down on it mostly just because I feel that March of Swirling Mist is better than the second of those right now. Still like Punkify. Um, we run Force of Vigor in part because we have a lot of card advantage, so exiling the green card is not usually a big deal, and hitting two things feels great. We run Cyclonic Rift because Cyclonic Rift is great, and uh, much like the other instances where we are holding up seven mana and everyone thinks we're going to activate Kinnon and then we instead overload Cyclonic Rift, you can uh, you can really afford to hold it up and do it at just the right moment. So yeah, we've been gotten by that. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's perfect. Um, then let's talk about uh, three pieces of interaction with channel abilities, which are great because they're uncounterable. Um, the first one is Moonsnare Prototype. So this is a weird card from um, Kamigawa, the most recent one, that says tap, tap an untapped artifact or creature you control to add one colorless mana. It's a one blue mana artifact, but it also says channel for four and one blue um, you can put the the owner of target non-land permanent pu puts it on the top or bottom of their library. So this ends up being more or less um, a submerge that can't be countered. And it's much more expensive, but in this deck we often have the mana and the flexibility to play it as an artifact when you need ramp on turn one or hold it as interaction um, later in the game. It makes it a, a great card in the slot. Yeah, this seems like a perfect Kinnon inclusion right here. Kinnon still doubles that mana, so it makes that... Yeah, so it taps good. for two colors. We also have, of course, Boseju and Ottawara. Oh, the best cards from 2022. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. These are both excellent because they come in untapped and tap for our callers, but you can hold them to uh, either destroy target artifact enchantment or non-basic land. Uh, in the case of Ottawara, return an artifact creature enchantment or planeswalker to its owner's hand. Also gives you more of a reason to not have to play like rapid hybridization. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm sure that you play more creatures. I, I have Gilded Drake and Rexage, which are still kind of interaction. Yeah, talk about those oh, two. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, yep, we've got two pieces. Uh, Reclamation Sage, which we can hit off of Kinnon and is just you know, good old-fashioned destroy target artifact or enchantment. 
but when we hit it off of Kinnon, you know, it's effectively uncounterable, so um, it, always a good include. And then um, Gilded Drake, which is a, a real pet card of mine, if I'm honest. Um, we love being able to steal commanders, and particularly since we run so many bounce effects and clone effects, uh, the odds that we can bounce it and play another Gilded Drake are reasonably high. So this is great for stealing Draneth Magistrates and stealing commanders most of the time. Isn't it great to have, like, a really powerful pet card? Yeah. Like, a lot of times people's pet cards are, like, something that's, like, really, like, lower power. And they're like, oh, I'm just trying to fit it in. Oh, yeah, my pet card's ad nauseum. I just try to fit ad nauseum into every deck. Man, I mean, I just I just played too many, uh, too many overly competitive cards back in my early casual days. So, like, maybe seven years ago now when I first got Gilded Drake for a whopping $45 at the time and put it in a, a casual deck of mine, and my friend said... Two mana to do that? That's such bullshit. My heart grew three sizes that day. Yeah, Gilded Drake definitely costed extremely cheaply, very good with Kin and me. I'm going to find it off of an activation. It's a great card. So how do we find these pieces that we need? We talked about a lot of very important cards that we need to assemble, like the Avengers. So let's talk about uh, tutors and card advantage engines. Um, we've got crop rotation. A lot of decks run this anyway, but we have uh, a higher than normal uh, amount of targets that we really care about with this. It's not just a second copy of Gaius Cradle as it is in many decks. You like utility lands? Name four utility <laughs> lands. <laughs> I love it. Um, so with crop rotation, the others that we're really interested in getting, um, Homeward Path, if we are going for the perplexing Chimera Lock, is absolutely devastating. Um, treasure Vault is also an infinite mana outlet that turns our colorless mana into um, treasures that we can use to activate Kinnon. Um, and sometimes we want to go get an Emergence Zone so that we can go over top of the stack and try and do um, dirty, nasty things while our opponents still have an Ad Nauseum five spells down on the stack or something. Yeah, Treasure Vault, I think, was such a great add to this deck, being able to turn your infinite colorless mana into treasures really easily without any being able to interact or anything like that. A super great add. You only named three. You have to name four. Oh, sorry. What, what was it? Guy's Cradle, Treasure Vault. You say Guy's Cradle. Oh, say Guy's Cradle. Guy's Cradle. I, oh, <laughs> Guy's Cradle. We do still want Guy's Cradle. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Guy's Cradle's good card. Certainly. We've also got Mystical Tutor and Worldly Tutor. These do serve different purposes in this deck. Uh, Mystical Tutor, obviously, is just getting you the spell you need when, when you need it. Um, but Worldly Tutor behaves a little differently in this deck because Kinnan looks at the top five cards of the library. So it is often um, a, a great play to uh, cast your Worldly Tutor and then activate Kinnan once that's on top of the library. Your opponents are usually going to see that coming, so hopefully they know to counter it, but um, it basically makes it eight mana, go get any creature in your deck and put it into play um, without the opportunity to counter the creature, so they have to counter the Worldly Tutor. Um, in terms of other creature tutors, we run Eldritch Evolution and Summoner's Pact. Um, the vast majority of the time with Eldritch Evolution, we are using that to get a utility creature, either a Gilded Drake or sometimes a Reclamation Sage um, or one of our uh, our Femage or our Phyrexian Metamorph um, because we're usually converting uh, Mana Dorks into, into one of those creatures. But sometimes if we have a, a Rex Age or something a little bigger on mana value, then we'll go get Seedborn Muse, which is what we really want. Yeah, that makes sense. A lot of times you see Eldritch Evolution going to get like a Grand Abolisher or a Thassa's Oracle, like a way to try to close out the game. But you're, it's operating just a little bit differently in this deck where it's not closing out the game, but it's still going to get you to a point where you can get really close to closing out. Absolutely. Um, we also run Summoner's Pact, even though it's a little expensive when you do have to pay for it. Um, Seaborn Muse is absolutely worth um, paying nine ultimately in this deck. So we are not unhappy if we are pretty sure we can get away with resolving a Seaborn Muse to cast a Summoner's Pact in main phase, get a Seaborn Muse and play it with the knowledge that we can probably activate Kinnon three times and then still pay for our Summoner's Pact. 
This can also get Thrasios, which is a helpful piece that will allow you to win the games in many points. Yep. Having Summoner's Pack be able to go for value or for combo piece, I think that's what makes this card really great in this deck. Yeah, absolutely key. Um, next, we got Moonsilver Key, which is a weird one since we're no longer really on artifact combo in this version of the deck. But this is a two-mana artifact that lets us pay one and sack it to search for an artifact card with a mana ability or a basic land and put it in hand. Um, we like this because we can go get Basalt, which is the one-card infinite colorless mana combo with Kinnon. Um, which is what we're going to get most of the time. But in edge cases, we can also go get Moonsnare Prototype, which has a mana ability, but acts as removal. So weirdly, this can go tutor uncounterable creature or artifact or enchantment removal, which <laughs> is kind of neat. funny as fuck. Yeah, it's it's nice when your tutors are flexible like that. Being able to get multiple different things is what makes them so powerful, I think. Mm-hmm. So let's talk card advantage. Other than Nezahal and Consecrated Sphinx, which are certainly our favorites, we're running some more typical card advantage cards as well. Uh, we've got Mystic Remora. We've got Ristic Study, and we've got Sylvan Library, all phenomenal enchantments that we're really happy to see early in the game in particular. Um, we're also running Ledger Shredder, which I have to say is is kind of close to on the chopping block. It is not our, our best card advantage piece, but it also becomes a big body, and over the course of a game, it can do a lot of work. You're not really using your graveyard much in this deck, so the actual looting ability isn't as powerful as it might be in like an Unroll Breach deck, right? Yeah, it is not the best deck for Ledger Shredder, for sure. No, but you're you're a blue deck that does not have card advantage. like In, in the command zone, exactly. Card draw yeah. in yeah. the command zone. Even though this so. isn't really card draw, it's just really card selection, but still. It's really it yeah. still gives you the ability to pick up a card from the top of your library and put it into your hand. <laughs> right. <laughs> We're also running uh, Ponder, which is you know probably the best single mana blue um, cantrip-ish spell. Not our favorite, if but sometimes you have to keep a hand that has a Ponder if you're going down to five or something like that. Um, and we have Brainstorm. And Brainstorm is very interesting in this deck because it's already a playable cantrip in the vast majority of decks. But if you find yourself with one of your big creatures in hand that you really don't want to hard cast... Um, putting a cannon activation on the stack and then responding to it with Brainstorm. If the Brainstorm resolves, is going to allow you to put that creature on top of the deck and then flip it off with Kinnon, um, and then put those five cards on the bottom of your library. So much like fetches are great with Brainstorm, this gives you the ability to take a great creature from your hand, get it onto the battlefield, and then put two cards from your hand that you didn't want on the bottom of your library instead of the top, which feels really good. It's like sneak attack. It makes Kinnon into a sneak attack. One-time shot. An eight-man sneak of. attack. Eight-man yeah. sneak attack. <laughs> Get Probe is... Half interaction, half card draw, but this is just something that you, you run if you want to um, take up that extra slot and make sure you're able to get an extra card and see what interaction awaits you in your opponent's hand. I, I, that's, that's the first time I've ever heard Git Probe be called interaction. Yeah, But that's too. literally what it is. Yeah, kind I, of is. Mm, you're kind of, you're interacting. Eh, it's sort of interacting. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Halfway, halfway. It's much more powerful when you play over spell table than when you play in person. Is that because they show the whole table? Yeah, I, they th often I think show people the whole are more table. inclined to show the whole table over spell table <laughs> yeah. just because you just don't have to deal with like the clicks and all that jazz. Let me make the case a little bit, though. I do think the thing with Git Probe is that in, in the sense that politics and persuading your opponents that one of your opponents is more powerful mm -hmm. and they should be focused on them is really important. I think Git Probe is very good for that. If you're good at selectively deciding what information to share, you can really use that to try and shift focus and everyone knows you've just seen that hand, so they're going to listen to you. Yeah, that's true. Do you have any ways to recur cards from your graveyard? Not many. Even though green is a pretty good recursion color, um, we don't need that much recursion um, because a lot of our game plan doesn't revolve around um, just a couple creatures. We have some redundancy. But we run Noxious Revival and Endurance. Um, Endurance is really important in this deck 
because once it was printed, we could reduce the cost of the deck by about $7,000 by eliminating Time Twister. It's <laughs> <laughs> helpful. Uh, yeah, which is great. Boom, budget right there. <laughs> because with Endurance, you can shuffle your own graveyard and Endurance into your library. So if you are already on the um, infinite mana drawing your deck with Thrasios plan, this allows you to recycle and reuse cards that you may need from your graveyard to get out of sticky situations with weird interaction. It doesn't come up terribly often, but because Endurance is also free most of the time and can interact with opponents to stop Thassa's Oracle wins, it definitely deserves the slot. Yeah, and yeah, I was going to say the, the being able to stop Thassa's Oracle wins is like an extra big bonus, like the number one. Thassa's Oracle and Underworld Breach, the fact that it stops right. us both yeah. is like a really big reason why, un why Endurance just gets like a couple extra boosts. Yeah. does a couple different things... Probably like not the most effective, efficient way, but it, it does since it does so many different things, it's a great include in this deck. Absolutely. We're now going to talk about a list of cards that see play in just about every single green deck, but are especially nuts in this one. We're talking about mana dorks and mana rocks, and that is what Kinnon is all about. This is kind of our meat and potatoes. We run more or less a, a normal package that you would see in any deck. I'll mention for you what the ones that are a little weird are at the end here. Um, we have Mana Crypt, Lotus Petal, Mox Diamond. I'm shocked. Elv <laughs> Elvish Spirit Guide, Mox Opal, Mox Amber, Chrome Mox, um, Springleaf Drum, Felwar Stone, Soul Ring, Mana Vault, um, Copy Artifact, Talisman of Curiosity, Arcane Signet, Grim Monolith, Basalt Monolith, Priest of Titania, Bloom Tender, Birds of Paradise, Elvish Mystic, Finhorn Elves, and Lanwar Elves. They all make infinite sense to me in this deck <laughs> in this deck absolutely i think most cdh decks won't necessarily run um springleaf drum but in this deck it is it is just worth it um because tapping for two makes it so much better grim monolith is also not always an include in every deck but with nyx blue nation it turns into infinite mana and just tapping for four already makes it a whole bunch better um, similarly, because we care about our big mana rocks so much, Copy Artifact is a great include. Um, it can copy one of our opponent's artifacts, so if someone else gets down a Soul Ring or a Mana Crypt, um, we can benefit from that, as well as being able to copy uh, any anything on your own board, if that's what you need. It's a ritual, which is funny. Yeah. Do you ever copy whatever Phyrexian Metamorph copied? Well, um, I think I think that's come up. If Phyrexian Metamorph comes down as a Dockside, then casting a Copy Artifact to make an Artifact Dockside is pretty darn appealing. Hell yeah, I love that. This is a treasure-hungry deck. Um, just a note, too, that Elvish Spirit Guide does not double mana because it's not tapping, so Kinnon does not add, add extra mana for that. But because a turn one Kinnon is so important to our game plan, um, Elvish Spirit Guide is still worth the slot. Sweet. We've talked about a ton of fucking cards. Ton, ton of, we're not done. We you have any lands in your deck? Yeah. Let's talk about your lands. Uh, the spell, we've talked no about lands a lot in the of, deck. We've no. talked about a lot of spells. I feel like we got to be coming up on land time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. So we've got a lot of lands that are just what you would see in any green-blue deck. Um, fetch lands, Yavamaya Coast, Gemstone Caverns, that sort of thing. So we're not going to talk about any of those. But the ones that do have a special role, um, we'll go through here. So Gaia's Cradle is pretty obvious. This is great in creature-based decks, and this is a creature-based deck. Um, we search for it with crop rotation. And because Guy's Cradle is so good and we are a low-color deck, a two-color deck to be specific, we also run Monomino School at Water's Edge. Doesn't come up that often, but if you have both of these out, the ability to tap Guy's Cradle and then pay essentially two to untap it with Minamo and then tap it again can be a significant source of, um, of mana generation. Or you could attack with Cannon and, and then untap Cannon. You could. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
We also run both of the artifact lands available in these colors, Seed of the Synod and Tree of Tales. Tell and me about these cards. You don't, you're not afraid of Dockside? You're feeding Dockside extra. Uh, we, are, we are afraid of Dockside, and we are also afraid of Collector Oof. These are, these are devastating for us. But in, in my estimation, which seems to be an unpopular opinion, the value of turning on Mox Opal turn one is worth the risk. So we run a very high density of artifacts already, and running these um, pushes us into the position where sometimes we can have a Mox Opal that is live on our very first turn. If we have something like Tree of Tales into Soul Ring um, with a Mox Opal gives us three available mana to maybe play Aristic Study or something like that. Um, also, being able to turn on that Mox Opal really increases our chances of a turn one Kinnon, and that, again, is just what the deck wants to do. Yeah, Kinnon uses extra mana so well. Any way to turn on your fast mana even quicker and make it even faster, I feel like it, you just you always have a mana outlet. So it's not like you're going to have a traditional ramp deck problem where you run out of stuff to do. There's always something to do. And you were already going to give Dockside a billion treasures anyway in this deck. Right. So what yeah. the hell? Are, yeah. What's that's, the difference? What the hell is <laughs> Why even pretend? Yeah. Two more. Yeah. Well, sure. We also run Emergence Zone. Plenty of decks run this. It's just great to be able to play things at instant speed and go over top of the stack. It's not necessarily as important in this deck as it is in many others when our plan is usually to um, just kind of win in the mid-range. But it's nice to have, and because we're in two colors, we can afford to run more utility lands than most decks can. This is Play to Win's January 2023 card of the month. Emergence Zone is good as fuck. <laughs> Holy fucking shit it is. Sure is. We also have Urza Saga, which I would say is a little better in this deck than most decks, just because the artifacts that it gets are likely to tap for one extra mana. So we are very happy to see Urza Saga early. Can this find... What's that key? What's How much mana is the key? Key is two mana. Moonsilver key is two, two mana. mana. Yep. Nice. So we can't right, find never that. Never mind. That would have been good. Yeah, we're usually just finding Mox Opal or Mox Amber or sometimes like Soul, Soul Ring or Mana maybe. Crypt. Yep, it's any of those. And finally, we run Cephalid Coliseum. This is another utility land that I would say not all decks run, but because we're in two colors, it feels appropriate. If you have Threshold, you can pay blue and sacrifice it to have target player draw three cards, then discard three. So this serves the dual purpose of um, allowing you to dig a little deeper into your deck if you're in a really desperate position, or um, if someone has failed to notice that it is on your board and goes for a Thassa's Oracle win, if you let the consult resolve, then activate Cephalid Coliseum targeting that player. They will lose to the draw before their Oracle goes off. Almost never happens, but boy, is it gratifying to have the option. It's threatening there. It's probably not going to happen often because people aren't going to go for the win when it's there, but it being there stops them from going from that. It's a lot like a stacks piece. Almost. Yeah, it can be. A very bad one. But a yeah. very bad one. But it also is a blue land that is untapped right away. Like it's the 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 weak part of it. Like it, at its worst, it's just it's still a land that's right. untapped. Nothing nothing else in your deck is utilizing your life total. So like even the one damage that it deals to you, the floor is so high. Who cares? So who would you recommend this deck to? Um, I think players who really don't want to play Adnaz or or all in strategies and want uh, a lot of flexibility and variety of gameplay are gonna love this deck. Um, it feels very, very powerful, and it can hang in a lot of different kind of pods. So if you don't need a deck that is tuned to one specific meta, but you play with a lot of different groups, I think it's it's great for that because you can go into a blind meta and feel pretty confident that it's going to be able to hang at the table. I also think uh, anyone who really loves like you know the casual roots of playing big creatures that are just huge haymakers that do extremely powerful effects, um, if you like that feeling, uh, then... It's very much the deck for you. So you Timmies out there that haven't tried CEDH yet. Yeah, this deck can definitely get away with them. A lot of other decks probably couldn't get away with playing big cards like Consecrated Sphinx. They just wouldn't be able to get them in play often enough. But this deck can really manipulate that. And it's, it's such a good ramp deck. Like if you like Tron or you like just like green ramping strategies, this is like the best CDH deck that does those big mana strategies, I think. Do you have anyone that you wouldn't recommend this deck for? 
I mean, me personally, no. I just love the deck so much <laughs> I would tell anyone to play it. But if you really like um, com like total stack strategies, um, this is not that. Even though it runs some stacks cards, don't be fooled. It, it is it is trying to ramp early and then hang into the mid-game and make the game go long. That is usually the way we win. But it is not a stacks deck, even though it, it has some stacks cards. So um, if stacks is your preferred strategy, this is not it for you. Uh, if you cannot stand to be entirely shut down by some cards like Collector Oof or something like that, um, this may not be the deck for you. If you don't like getting your commander removed. Right. Yeah. And I mean, if it, also you run some weird cards because it is a two-color deck. And in two-color decks, you are in the position where card quality in just two colors is such that you, you don't get to run some of the really fun cards that are that you can run in all your four-color decks. Um, so if, if that's important, I guess... I guess don't play two color decks. I, I got a question. What about like notable weaknesses? What's like what are the one of the issues with this deck? Do you think that it could either be solved with like a future printing of another card or just maybe with the meta? Like what's like an issue that you run into with this deck? Besides collector oof and yeah, like besides collector oof. I know you just kinda of said that, but is there anything else that you're like uh it it could use a little bit more card draw, a little bit more this or that? Is there anything? Yeah, we definitely wish it had more card draw. Um that would be nice. Like you're in blue, so like it really you have access to one of the best cards card draw colors but you're you're missing like the the massive game winning card draw spells like like ad nauseum like peer into the abyss and necropotence to a lesser extent for sure um i would also say that uh because we're in green blue our tutoring ability is not great we have great creature tutors which is the most important kind of tutor for this deck really but that's about it you know not being in black just means you don't have access to any of the unconditional tutors that can find the right thing at the right time um so that can be a bit challenging nice what cards did you purposefully not put in your deck? Yeah, any notable excludes? Versus other Kinnon decks or just in yeah. general? Or? Uh, yeah, either one. In general, either, yeah. Anything that sticks out in your head right now. Like, why didn't you put... I don't have a good fuck. Shit. <laughs> I, that would have been funny <laughs> if fuck. I would have had, like, a... A thought. Like, or like something yeah. to say. Like, How do people do that? Think stuff and just say it. Like, why isn't Mole Drifter in this deck? <laughs> <laughs> so I would say stuff that, that feels obvious that could slot in here are a lot more artifact tutors because Basalt Monolith is an infinite combo. Um, there are versions of Kinnon that run a lot more artifact tutors and are much more all-in on the artifact clan. And this isn't one of them. Um, that you, you, you kind of can have your cake and eat it too with Kinnon to a limited extent. But I think for me, Moonsilver Key is the right amount of going to find that artifact. And the rest of the time, I'm much happier with Hullbreaker Horror Tide Spout Tyrant combo. So um, that's the direction I leaned. But you, you don't have to. You, there's certainly much faster versions of Kinnon that are just trying harder to find Basalt Monolith faster and run more outlets for it. Transmute Artifact, I feel like, is a notable one that I feel like has been in your list in the past and maybe isn't anymore. Yep, right? yep, exactly. That kind of is, is that vein. Um, there's also Creature Lines with Pemim's Aura and Freed from the Real that will also generate Infinite Anna. Um, I exclude those because uh, you can't really find two pieces, those two pieces in the same turn. A creature that generates the mana you need, like Birds of Paradise, and the Aura to enchant it. So... If you have to wait until you can untap with that creature and it's no longer summoning stick to enchant it, that means you're waiting a turn cycle. Um, and they're pretty easy to interact with um, by just killing the creature or any number of other things. So I, I don't like those lines quite as much, so I don't run that those creature-heavy versions. Enchantments are hard to find in Simic, honestly. You, like, Enchantments really, you are no hard to, to find. find yeah, exactly. Right? No, you really don't. And they get hit by all of the negate 
counter spells. Um, and Isogron Scepter, that was the one that you played at some point. That was a combo that you're no longer including, right? Yep. Dramatic Reversal and Isochron Scepter is certainly a great combo, but um, where the deck is now, I just think you have enough ways to get infinite mana that don't require you to run cards that usually don't feel great on their own if, if you don't have both pieces, that they just don't feel necessary. Speaking of cards that are dead on their own, Thassa's Oracle is another one that sometimes people assume should go in decks that are drawing their whole deck, but you're not playing Thassa's Oracle here. Yeah, Thassa's Oracle um, would be fine in this deck. You just don't really want to draw it, and you don't especially want to flip into it either unless you're at the moment of winning. Ha! <laughs> Yeah, I didn't even think about that, but that's really awkward. Oops, all right, well, there goes, like, my win condition then. Sure, I mean, it's always a may, right? You don't have to reveal a creature from those top five, but I still think Thassa's Oracle just doesn't need to be in here because it doesn't really have a hard time closing out the game once you get to infinite mana as it is. That was a lot of kin and talk. Yeah, sorry. No, that's okay. Why were you sorry? Yeah, we we were literally <laughs> like, could you please come over and do a kid and deck tech? And then you did the deck tech, and then you said, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I don't know how long they're supposed to be. Maybe this means no, too this much is, editing. This is the no, perfect this line. is great. This is, this is great. Um, how do we wrap it up? What was the last thing that we said? Wow, Kinnon. What a deck. Wow, marvelous. What a spectacular deck that was. Wow, wow what, what a marvelous, marvelous deck. deck. Thank you so much for watching. If you'd like to support us directly, you can do so on Patreon, like our $100 patrons. Demon of Razgriz and Baby G-Bus. If you want to pick up any of our merch, you can do so at our website, playtowinmtg.com. If you'd like to support us at no additional cost to you, check out our, our affiliate links down below. You want to tell people to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok for more content? No, that's the antithesis of what I like. No, <laughs> someone what, else say that's that. That's why we gave it to you. <laughs> if, you um, if you want to catch more content, you can do so on TikTok, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you for watching. See you next time. Should we shout out our $50 patrons? Yeah, let's shout them out. Justin. Eli Rich D. Jason Perkins. Mansolo. Nikola Marikovic. Steven Schlichty. That Green Guy. Plantain Jackson. Isaiah Verlisky. Michael Lyon. Pedro. Byron Wang. Windway. C. Kwaja E. Hamid. Jacob Depp. CZ. Michael Blue. Jan Wildfang, Sleepy Jarvis, Thomas Bono, Swampy McGee, Lauren Connell, David Nelson, Vinny Bianca, Jormax, James Noon. The one thing I want though is I, like I said, I want you to get the altar art, like an image of it or something. I, I, I held it up earlier. Oh, did you? I'm yeah. sorry. Okay, no, then no, you're no, probably. Tyler, who, 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 who? I'm a fucking tell us, owl. Tell us about this. What's this? Uh, that is an altar that I commissioned from Mike Sad from Playing With Power, who is an awesome guy and a phenomenal artist, and I am so grateful he did a great job on it. Who is this? This is Ashitaka from Princess Mononoke. He asks for a line, <laughs> like in a play. <laughs> I fucking love that bitch. <laughs> line.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.